Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Indianapolis, Indiana. Welcome to the show, Scott Myers. Hey, Victor. Good to catch up with you again. How are you? I'm fantastic. Well, Scott, you are deep. You're an expert in the world of storage, not just as an investor, but as an educator as well. How did you get into that particular line of business? Why don't you give us a bit of your backstory? Yeah. So um, I think like most folks got into real estate by buying, well, the easiest way to enter usually is into a, by way of a single family rental house. I followed the Carlton Sheets uh, method and home study system uh, back years ago in 1993, bought my first single family uh, rental. We rehabbed it, rented it out, uh, refinanced it, and then um, went on and bought two more. And then we grew that side of the business to having about 78 or so rental houses and then um, got into multifamily af after that, um, achieving some economies of scale. We had about 400 apartment units and then realized that yeah, it didn't really have all the free time and, and all the cash flow that Carlton Sheets had talked about. And so even after having property management companies in place, and I thought, well, there, there may be a better way. And so as we looked across the landscape and different asset classes in real estate, uh, you know, the only way to get away from tenants and toilets and trash was either parking lots or storage. And there's value that can be added into a storage facility, much like apartments and other asset classes where parking lots, not so much. And so that's when we got into self-storage, began um, looking into learning about the uh, the industry, uh, bought our first self-storage facility and then bought uh, another and another. And at the time I was running a real estate investor group and, and there wasn't uh, anybody back in 2004 and five teaching how to get into self-storage. And so out of that and, and running our real estate group, um, we started holding workshops and people wanted to know what we were doing. And so we kept helping them. And then, yeah, our whole education business uh, was really blossomed and born out of that. And so um, I found myself with a, a 60 hour a week investing business, and then all of a sudden had a 60 hour a week uh, education business as well. And, um, but over the years, um, peeled them both uh, back and, and, and then intertwined them. And so that our education business, you know, we, we partner with a lot of our folks, we do consulting, and we do joint ventures. And um, really just now it's all about a big community that connects people with each other, all the other self storage investors, and, and we're moving forward in the in, in the same fashion and with the same basic fundamental principles and, and best business practices. I love that. Now, the storage industry is one that's going through a little bit of transformation, depending on the market. Some markets are actually saturated with a lot of institutional money entering those markets. Mm -hmm. By and large, continent-wide, it's still largely a cottage industry, and many of these folks with no succession plan are aging out of the business. How is the business transitioning? You're kind of in the middle between that institutional play and the cottage industry, kind of in that, I won't say no man's land, but it's it's in between, right? It is our, our our sandbox is really if uh, for those that are watching right now we, you know we've got the the REITs that are really up at the top you know the real estate investment trust so the institutional money and and they are in the as you mentioned the top MSAs the top fifty metropolitan statistical areas and they're the ones who are buying and building and consolidating the class A institutional facilities the the multi story gleaming you know shiny facilities that you see right along the main roads. Um, you know, on, on the bottom end is the, the rural folks, you know, the mom and pops that are really in rural areas, classy facilities that are on the outskirts, tertiary markets, where it's really kind of hard to build value into those. Um, although some folks are having some success and in, in aggregating and buying some of those, but there's usually just not a lot of movement. Uh, we're right in the middle of that. And so we're, we're in the secondary markets closer to tertiary and we're buying these facilities and taking maybe a C plus or a B minus facility and taking it to a, a B, B plus. 
And then uh, we'll buy as many as we can in that market and, and roll them up, aggregate them, and then sell them off to a larger player, whether it be a, a, a local or in many cases, uh, a regional, but in most cases, a, a national player that is looking to stroke a bigger check and pay a higher multiple and uh, lower cap rate for those facilities. And you know, you, you're right, Victor, when I got into the business uh, back in 2005, uh, there was about 9% is, uh, of the units and square footage nationwide that the, the REITs, the Real Estate Investment Trust, owned. And now we're closer to 20%. We've almost doubled. And that's that's a significant amount in that short of a, a period of time. And that is accelerating at a, at a pretty quick clip. Uh, we've seen self-storage has done so well during uh, the recession and all recessions. They are virtually pandemic resistant because well, we were doing touchless rentals by way of a, a website and kiosks, much like a you know a red box operates. So the the industry uh, did very well during uh, the pandemic. It's an essential business, so it was never shut down by the municipalities, and it was a need when people uh, were downsized um, or businesses closed up. They put their inventory in place, and uh, the kids came home from school, and everybody came home from work, and folks were left uh, having to find a spare room in the house. So they had to clean out the dining room, clean out the spare bedroom, and all that furniture went into self-storage to make way for now these makeshift of schools and workspaces. So we've done extremely well during those times. And as a result, um, the numbers have showed it. You know, The REIT performance, uh, self-storage is at the very top as an industry. The sector has done extremely well. And so all those folks that are now pulling out of the stock market because of the inflationary place that we find ourselves now, they're running to hard assets and they're running to the hard asset, the income producing hard asset that is um, performing the best. And I'm not being biased. It's just, you know, they, they see it, you know, the stats are there. And so for that reason, we got a lot of funds, um, a lot of new folks that are coming in with uh, money into the storage industry outside of the regular owner operators that are the REITs chasing these self-storage deals. And so we're going to continue to see the the race to consolidate to see who can get the, the biggest, the fastest um, is, is on and it is uh, continuing to pick up speed. I come from the world of product design. My background was as a microprocessor designer. And, and so I grew up with that product design mentality. And, and I carry that with me every single day. So even when I think about storage, I think, I think product design. So I'm thinking specialty products for specialty customers. I'm thinking fo secure file storage for lawyers, accountants, psychologists that don't want 10 years of paper history in their office. They need a place to store it. I'm thinking e-commerce for the small players that are just getting started. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the millions of businesses that are on Etsy and Shopify and all of these other platforms. How does that play in to your business? And do you actually have targeted marketing for those little niches? We, we do. So it, it really starts out of necessity, first of all, Victor. You know, when we go into a facility, when we have a new facility and there's a, it's almost always a situation. Well, it's always a situation where we're creating value. But if it's an occupancy issue, how can we fill this? And in some cases, uh, it means adding a secondary type of storage. So whether it's um, temperature controlled storage, uh, we will add that. Sometimes we can convert a building or add a building and then insulate it and add HVAC and make it temperature controlled where it wasn't. We could take it a step further and then also make it humidity controlled as well for then storing specialty items such as wine and furs and art and other collectibles. But then also we can reach out beyond that and look at, you know, what does uh, the medical records industry look like in this particular market? And so we can do a minor, uh, a small priced feasibility study to determine, you know, what types of additional storage can we add to this facility in this particular market? Uh, you just mentioned, you know, the Etsy, the Amazon folks, the drop shippers that they've out 
grown the garage at home. They've outgrown their, their basement, the, the dining room table, and now it's time to put their inventory somewhere else. Storage is a natural because it's a small amount and it's still the least amount per square foot until they grow into a sizable operation and actually get a warehouse. And so we have several folks that are operating out of our facilities. And so we cater to that by then uh, offering and building some spaces that um, either have a flex space, a small office in front, and then storage behind it, but then also the building up front. Um, if we buy a facility where it used to have an apartment for a resident manager, that is immediately converted over to a business center. So the folks that are just coming there for an hour or two a day, or even you know, the folks in the, in the mornings when they're coming to the, the root drivers for like the, the snap-on tool chest and Mac tool truck drivers, or the pharmaceutical reps that have uh, some samples and supplies at our facility. You know, a lot of these folks, the business is out of their truck and out of the storage facility. And so if we give them a small office to work out of for, you know, the one to two hours in between or the beginning of the day or the end to, to run their business, um, we, we make that available to them. So there's a number of ways of looking at this, but then even beyond that, um, you know, we've had boat and RV storage centers where it's been an add-on to some vacant ground in the back where we just wanted to lease some up to now building out nine, 10 acre um, commercial self-storage um, sites that have uh, not only a boat and RV um, as well, but then also it's caters to the, the the commercial storage folks that have the large trucks and need a large turnaround and have more office space and, and have a place to do more work. Municipalities, they're, they're not necessarily fond of self-storage. It doesn't generate a lot of tax revenue. It doesn't produce a lot of jobs. It's, um, it's one of those businesses that we love because it is not payroll intense. And so for that reason, they're not as willing to offer up zoning for us to be able to build and develop or convert. So we've had to get a little more creative. And we have a project right now in, in Wisconsin that is a mixture of co-working and self-storage. So it's got event space, it's got co-working space, and um, two of the four floors of this uh, multi-story building are storage, and the other two are co-working space, and then on the top floor is event space that overlooks Lake Michigan. So we've seen microbreweries go in, um, co-located with self-storage, a number of other types of businesses that we see alongside of this, but then even as the storage business you know, evolves, you know, we saw through the last recession, a, a number of folks that uh, their businesses downsized and they, they were moving out of their big warehouse or the buildings that they owned either because they had to or they just couldn't afford it. They were downsizing. They needed a 10,000 square foot space. And that's what we heard over and over again. And so we have an industrial building that we converted into storage units that were 10,000 square feet. So they had warehousing and storage in the back and a small office in the in the front for running their businesses out of. Other folks that have a lot of toys, um, a, a 10 by 10, a 10 by 15, and a 10 by 20 isn't big enough to store their, their luxury car and a big screen TV and a lazy boy and a mini bar so that they and their buddies can sit around and stare at that guy's car <laughs> or his boat or airplane. And so the, the whole man cave craze is in full swing, uh, but even to different levels. Um, we've seen buildings uh, built and we're converting one right now that also has common spaces like a co-working space. Um, an area for, you know, watching football, as well as then private spaces that are in that three to 4,000 square foot, which truly is more like a man cave where somebody can store a collector car or two and have a little area set up uh, where if he just wants to get away and polish his car or take a seat and, you know, watch a car race or watch a football game with a buddy or two, or the person that is running a business out of that type of facility as well. Um, is uh, more and more in demand as we continue to move away from corporate America and uh, folks working for large or even small companies into more of an entrepreneurial based economy. Uh, we're seeing uh, more and more demand for these types of facilities. So 
We're pretty excited. That allows us to get creative in our design as well, as you mentioned, Victor, to continue to push the envelope, but really it's just listening to the customer. What is it that they need and they want? And we'll pull on that thread. And if we can make it work from you know a number standpoint, uh, we're happy to offer it and be the first to offer it in our markets. What I'm hearing is that clearly the lines have been blurred between a lot of these different what would have been at one time distinct asset classes mm-hmm. where, you know, again, to use the man cave example, I mean, a lot of these are being built in shells. Perhaps that entertainment area might be on a mezzanine level. If you've got mm-hmm. a 20 foot ceiling, you outfit the place with the, if you've got a Ferrari, you're probably going to have a bunch of red paint in, mm-hmm. the, in the place as well. And we're seeing a lot of that sort of thing happening as well. We're, we're kind of a product of our own devices. And that is, you know, we felt uh, all along, we meaning uh, in our industry that, well, if we create a building, build a building, convert a building into storage and co-working and, and other small businesses and warehousing and blend it all, first of all, the bank's not going to be able to wrap their heads around it and, and finance it. And then when we sell it, our pool of buyers is going to be less because you know people that are in the storage business, they buy storage facilities. People that are in co-working spaces buy buildings that are only co-working. And so what we're seeing now is that, hey, the banks really like this concept because the, the amount of money per square foot <laughs> is, um, is higher and it's in demand. If we lease them up. I mean, that's what banks look for, you know, the amount of rent per square foot and the velocity of lease up. And so if we're presenting a product to the marketplace, that leases up right away and we're getting a high rent per square foot, they'll fund those all day long. And if it's producing cash flow on a regular basis and you got a waiting list, then, um, you know, somebody is going to buy that facility later on and they like the concept It's because it's already proven. So sometimes we do need to allow ourselves to be creative and get out of our own way because we're put limiting beliefs on what we think that we can do and if it'll get funded or if it'll get sold down the road. A lot of these mom and pop facilities where the folks are aging out, they have no succession plan. They've been running the business like a cottage industry. They've been maximizing the expenses to uh, maximize their tax deductions. So you see dinners out and all kinds of things in their books. So that helps them from a tax perspective. It certainly hurts them from a valuation perspective because it pulls down the NOI. How do you get into the negotiations and discussions with those cottage industry sellers to get them a fair price and and get yourself a good deal so that it's win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had that discussion with them very early on. And what used to help us a lot in the beginning, when I was a, a beginning investor in, in commercial real estate, you know, your, your growth is usually limited by the amount of cash that you have. And so you're either bringing in private equity and then also approaching the sellers uh, to say, hey, are you interested in staying in this deal and being the bank, which will also allow you to defer some of your capital gains and not have a taxable event. And so we've had some success with, if they don't have a succession plan and all the paperwork's in place with a, a mortgage and a promissory note. And if we fail to perform, they get to take the facility back. Um, certainly not the best scenario for them, but also gives them some assurance. And so that has uh, allowed them to do that. And then uh, maybe uh, perhaps even give them some time and some flexibility of looking at either a 1031 or something else, because usually these mom and pops, um, you're, you're right, Victor, they don't have a succession plan and they haven't even thought about that when it comes time to sell, but they're so far down the road mentally that they're ready to sell and, and then all of a sudden comes uh, this issue of uh, taxes. So that is, a, we really have taken that on and that, okay, that's our problem to solve, which will also be a benefit to us if we can provide that to these folks, because we know that the question is going to come up more times than not. 
Also, you know, for ourselves, um, in terms of reducing our taxes, um, when it comes to evaluation, you know, we'll write two purchase agreements. The, the One of the other beauties of self-storage is that it's considered to be both a business and real estate. And so we'll write two purchase agreements, one for the land and one for the goodwill or the business that allows us to not have that, that huge bump in assessed value because we're going to write that offer for a little bit more than what the current assessed value is for the real estate. And then the balance of that will be the goodwill and, and the business itself. So that's more of a benefit for us on the taxation side, but also gives them the flexibility of doing a, a different tax treatment on, on their end as well. Once they let their CPA know, this is how that they're, they're, they plan to move forward. I love that. Well, Scott, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Uh, all things self-storage at selfstorageinvesting.com. That's our, our main site. And um, we've got uh, tabs on there with um, our educational materials for those that are lo- interested in looking uh, into the industry more, all kinds of free white papers and, and, and videos just to, to dip your toe in, as well as uh, our investments that are on the passive side. We have a number of passive investors that invest alongside of us in our projects. We syndicate a lot and we have a, a fund that's investing in value-add assets right now. And, uh, and everything in between. So that is uh, the place to go for all things self-storage. Fabulous. Well, I love the perspective and uh, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Scott. He is a true expert, whether it's to learn more about their projects or just to learn about more about self-storage in general. Definitely reach out to Scott at selfstorageinvesting.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 